we need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. Coming to you from Buffalo's MLK Park neighborhood, I'm Thomas O'Neill White, here with Judson Price, one of the founders of Buffalo's Juneteenth Festival. Mr. Price, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. You're an integral part of the history of Black Buffalo, uh, helping to create the first Juneteenth event in the city's history. What was it like organizing the event, um, which is the first of its kind in Buffalo? Well... The first thing I'd like to mention is that when we were at a bill meeting, the uh, active organization that actually started Juneteenth was at a meeting and the um, director, Bill Gator, said, because it was celebrating the uh, uh, bicentennial, it's 4th of July. So he said, let's see if we can find something that's contiguous of, you know, black freedom. Nobody knew anything. So I asked some of the fellas or someone to go out, and they went to the library, UB library, a downtown library somewhere, and he came back shortly and said he heard this Jubilee celebration. Then he said Jubilee, actually it was called Juneteenth. And said, that's it, okay. And so from that, we started. You mentioned Bilb and uh, William Gator, yeah. who's got a parkway named after him. Can you talk a little bit about uh, William Gator and Bill yeah. Community, for, for those who don't know. Yes, um, William Gator, Bill Gator was the uh, director of the Bill Organization, which was a very productive, strong, activist organization in the city of Buffalo. And he was a bus driver, and he just quit in order to work on this project. And he was very ingenious in reference to various techniques of dealing with the uh, various problems was what dealt with schools, jobs, work, and everything. And so what we would do is come up with ideas and work on them. And one of the real good ones I would like to mention is we were having trouble with the banks. And the banks, because they're the ones that lend the money to the contractors to do jobs that we couldn't get. Mm -hmm. So he said, okay, I'm, we'll do it. They got a busload of people and went to the bank with the people adding Ten cents to their, uh, their um, account, borrowing, um, putting in five cents. Had about thirty people doing that, mm -hmm. and then the uh, officer of the brings it. Oh, wait, that's a minute. And they got together and said, "Let's talk." That was one of the things they did, and they started talking. And we did get some workers in the uh, different department stores that were not there. And with how did how did Juneteenth get off the ground, and uh, and also was it originally held in MLK Park? Has it always been held? No, in it was on Jefferson first, Jefferson, and 
unfortunately, a lot of people always say, let's go back on Jefferson because it was like we could promenade up and down the street and you could see everybody and it worked out fine. But that's when it was very small. We had um, maybe 50, 60 um, concessionaires. But now we have the hundreds, hundreds of concessionaries, food, clothing, artifacts, and everything. But what was interesting, the first, very first Juneteenth, and the only Juneteenth that was rained out was the first one. Oh. Was the first one. And we just stopped. And we didn't have too much invested at that time for our money into the people selling food. So we stopped it and started the next week. Did you previously know about Juneteenth? No, that is what's interesting. We knew nothing about Juneteenth. Like I said, we had someone go out and find what could we celebrate. And so he found that, and then we started celebrating. And I'd like to mention this, too. A lot of people, since we've been celebrating it so long in Buffalo, they think that uh, it started here. And I have a flag over there that my daughter brought in. It's 1865. It was continuous, except they stopped doing the Depression. They stopped doing the war. didn't have celebrations. But um, we knew nothing about it. So what was the process of getting getting the event off the ground? We're talking 1976? 76, yes. The first thing we did was try to get people for a parade, which always start out with a good event. And then we just said, what do we do? And then, of course, if you have having a festival, you know, you had to have food. So we got people who would uh, be selling food. And then, of course, artifacts and different things. And also, we had it on Jefferson Avenue. Jefferson Avenue, because at that time, there was very, very few businesses. And we did it on Jefferson so that it would increase businesses and so forth, or bring them back. And so that's how we started. Just Was Jefferson like the kind, kind of like the heart of Black Buffalo at that yes. time? Yes, somewhat, yes. And sell, uh, getting people to sell food, were you working with like vendors or was it kind of like more like mom and pop, hey, you know, you guys are going to cook this and y'all over here are going to cook this? It was mom and pop. But what's very interesting is those who sold food had to come to a session where the uh, county food ex executive would come and let them know that you had to raise a certain temperature if you're cooking, and you have to lower a certain temperature if you're gonna keep it uh, cold, mm -hmm. and then if you're doing sanitary, wash, sanitize, and rinse. And they had to pass that, and they were kind of checked, you know, out of different times. Once the festival started, they'll go around and check. And if they did not have that, they couldn't continue, even though it was mom and pops. And, and we saw a picture of you right here. Yeah. <laughs> making uh, flags and stuff. And that's, where'd you come up with that idea? Well, we were just thinking of what we could do. We just come up with different ideas. And I like to do different things. Now, I haven't, can't find one of the pennants. There are pennants. And also, it was the design on the first Juneteenth shirts. And I had learned a little bit about um, silkscreen printing when I was taking industrial arts at Buff State. And so that was the one I kind of liked. And so I just said what I could do. And at that time, you had to draw and cut a stencil. Now you can do it 
on the computer. On the computer. Yeah, just like that. With the acetate, put it on a screen that you put on um, um, photograph sensitive material, and then let it sit there a while and take it out, wrench it, and you got your screen. So making those pennants pretty pretty time consuming. <laughs> very time consuming, very difficult. And at that time we had regular paint. Oh. Inks. It was not water. Now they have watercolors when you finish the screen, just wash it out before. Oh, it was tough. How did how did word spread or how'd you get the word out that, hey, we're doing this Juneteenth, March or you know festival, festival on Jefferson? Was it just word of mouth? It was word of mouth and also through block clubs and everything. And I think also since Buffalo is not that large, people knew people all over North, South, East, West, Buffalo, and the word spread. And it wasn't difficult because people were anxious, really anxious to do something in lieu of 4th of July. <laughs> ah, I see. I see. Um... So what was the atmosphere like for the first Juneteenth? Well, you said it, it got rained out oh, originally. Gracious, I mean glorious, because we had all kind of marches down Jefferson and had groups. Then we had a stage, and at that time, those who had some talent, they wanted to be seen, and they would do it for nothing, not like now. And they would come so that with the crowd that we had, they were happy to be able to uh, perform. And it's 1976, so what what uh, what kind of music are we talking about? We're talking soul, we're talking funk? All kinds of music. <laughs> All kinds of music. At that time, whatever it was, I danced with all of them. <laughs> um, has the manner in which we collectively celebrate Juneteenth changed um, since you guys first started here in Buffalo, and, and in addition to, to yourself and William Gator, who were the other people who, who started up the festival? Oh, well, actually, the uh, young man who was uh, president for over 20 years was uh, Marcus Brown. Then we had other people who was on the uh, committee or the board that would uh, do the various jobs they would, you know, sign to do. My first... Juneteenth assignment in 2019, I interviewed Marcus Brown. Yes. And that's who we saw at the flag raising. Right. <laughs> and he was the one I told about, and he started, and he became president for over 20 years. And he did with a lot with the parade. What, what have you seen change from the first Juneteenth to, to now, to what it is now? I think the organization... And I didn't do it, but I meant to get a list of maybe 20 different auxiliaries, whatever you want to call it, that we have now. Food, entertainment, culture. Um, we had people with um, doing the uh, chess. We had everything you can think of, kids, kids organizations and kids' parts. And so it just came out to have about well, 30 different uh, venues. And you've seen, you've seen Buffalo change so much throughout your lifetime. How has Buffalo improved? And what things do you think have worsened in the city? Well, I, that's hard to say. But I think uh, the so-called integration did not work. 
I was counseling when they first started uh, integrating the schools. And what made it so bad for the students that we had at our schools, they could not go to the so-called feeder schools unless they were up high, at least on grade level. And so we lost our good students. And far as I can see and concern, we did not get any students coming into our schools mm -hmm. other than City Honors, right. Olmstead, and things like that. And many, many of the schools are closed now. So many of them with housing. So we have a lot, 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 lot less people. Do you consider yourself an educator? Pardon me? And do, do you consider yourself an educator? Oh, yes, yes. Um, so, so what, what uh, is there, is there a quick fix solution to this problem? Is there a long-term solution to this problem? What do you think? I would think the long-term solution is always going to mellow in. Fast solution that we did when we integrated the schools and other things like that and closed schools, it didn't work. We used to walk to school and it took 10 minutes to walk to school and then I always thought at 9 o'clock we'd get to school, 10 after 9 you finish your bell work and you've done a lot of work. Now the students are on the bus for hours. We've just kind of cleared that up mm -hmm. with the so-called three-bell system. And it's unbelievable how we've lost the schools. There was one around the corner. And uh, Which one was that? That was uh, 59. Actually, they moved over to the museum. So it's been called the... Uh, That's right. Museum School Science. Oh, Drew Science School. Yes, yes, yes. yep. Mm -hmm. We have one that moved to the zoo. <laughs> school <laughs> every in addition to creating the Juneteenth festival here you've you've pretty much risked your life for the betterment of the city um can you talk about that i i realize yeah, a little it's a touchy bit. touchy subject basically i was a black club president and that's one thing even the uh, bill organization started with a host of black clubs starting to help the community and I just happened to be here, and as you can see, I've been here over 60 years. And so we had a black club, and that really helped us keep the things in order. And I was secretary most of the time for someone who was really working in the uh, area, but weren't so-called, you know, school that much, but very hard worker and good at making contact with the youngsters. So that's how we um, operated. And what happened as far as the trouble, the same fellows who really caused the trouble are fellows he worked with. They were the young fellows we worked with. And it just so happened one fellow who wasn't too cool, he wanted to do what he wanted to do, and he did what he <laughs> did. Uh -huh. But I was blessed because I didn't hit my teeth. They went in, and little part stayed in my chest, and it was about half inch from my so-called OA order, and everything went fine. Hit the floor, and my wife was here, and I got up, and she was about to run anywhere, uh, everywhere, and jaw was split. I headed to the bathroom to look. I never got there. I can't recall, <laughs> and I'm glad that I didn't, but. 
we uh, had a good good block club, and it just happened these young fellas got into this business from some other people outside the community. And those who did not work with those fellas became all kind of successful people and so forth. Wall Street, prison guards, teachers and everything who worked with the block club and were not in this so-called uh, drug business. But I also, I had no trouble with the fellas because actually some of the fellas I taught their grandfathers. <laughs> and so it made it easy for me because they wouldn't get after anybody. You taught my grandfather. And just this, like I said, one person who was not too cool. And I think he did it, killed several other people. Mm. In fact, he's in now from 50 to life. Wow. Wow. But the other fellas and most of the people on the street, we were no trouble at all. Every time I, I talk to someone who's a member of the Block Club, I always want to, uh, I ask them to like stress the importance of Block Clubs, especially in this community. Oh, the importance is just unbelievable because we used to keep this street clean. We used to um, sweep the street. We had meetings. We had um, dollar for dues, we get a right proposals in order to get money from the city to have uh, monies to do certain things. And of course, being in school, I was uh, writing a lot, lot of those and that did, I like, took pictures and sent with it and it worked out very well. But they were very important, the black clubs, very important in getting the people to know each other because now don't know the people on either side just one side, across the street, here, don't know anybody. And those who were here at the time we moved, there's only a couple families that's still here. All the others have gone or passed on and so forth. But it's, it's hard to say. No, it's not hard to say. It's very important, the block loads, very, very important. And circling back to Juneteenth, uh, your granddaughter, obviously, we had her on yesterday. Yeah. Aaliyah has heeded the call and is now a writer writing important yeah. children's books, such as The Story yeah. of Juneteenth. Um, how do you feel about her continuing your legacy oh, and the legacy great. of Juneteenth I in Buffalo? I could not find it, but I had pictures of her when she was only about two years old with a group of people who were part of a Juneteenth festival. We were having a king-queen contest, Malika Malika, we called it. And she was one of the little ones that helped. And she just loved it. And this Juneteenth started before she was born. And that's why it's something. And she was happy to be with my wife and the other ones making up things. We used to sell things to pennants and uh, other things that we made little flowers and pencils with Juneteenth on it and stuff like that. We didn't sell food or anything. Yes, we did. We had a tent that sold food too. Yes, and all the money that we made as a committee, we gave to the organization. That was a family. What do you think of the growth of Juneteenth over the last decade, decade or so? I know you 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 mentioned uh, the organization yeah. uh, involved, how organized it is. How does it make you feel to see it develop the way it has? It's just unbelievable. Unfortunately, the last few years I haven't been able to participate but I do get the text as to what's going on and 
we were blessed to be able to have give, receive a building from the bank that gave us a place to store materials, to have meetings. Prior to that, we used to meet at different houses and things like that. And also, a lot of people who kind of, not kind of disjunctings and thought it was just a grassroots something, since they found out they could get such an exposure, mm -hmm. everybody came. Sororities, fraternities, fraternal units, politicians, and everybody. It got so bad that the parade became too long because of so many people wanting to be part of it. Plus, those who sold food made a lot of money. And it just became so big that they say it's the largest in the country. It is, I think. It's at least yes. top two. And we have all kinds of things. Like I said, I can't think of all the different committees that participate and that we uh, have as part of the Juneteenth. It's hard to even think of all those. I think of about 20 or 30 different groups, activities, like, like I said, like the uh, youth and like the... Um, mm -hmm. Sankofa Days. Sankofa Days, that's something new, mm -hmm. yes. That has been something as a precursor to the uh, festival itself. That's usually a week before the festival, and we have all kinds of things. Um, in 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 light of the tragedy of five fourteen, uh, does does the festival take on a greater meaning, a deeper meaning? Definitely, definitely, definitely taking a greater meaning. I'd like to mention quickly too, before we had uh, tops, we had nothing, nothing. And I was blessed to be on a committee that worked for about three or four years called Our Market, trying to get a market there. And after they found out that they would have customers, we finally got Tops to come in. And I think a lot of people were leery about coming because they always think it's trouble, which was really disgusting. Mm -hmm. but. Now, since I think the community is much together, they come and don't have that fear. So I think that has helped a lot, although I haven't been working in it closely mm -hmm. since that happened. Even with the reopening of that Tops on Jefferson, do you feel the the neighborhood or just like the, the east side of Buffalo needs more markets, more supermarkets? Oh, definitely. That was one right around the corner. Right around the corner, gone. There's one on Jefferson and Best, where the school is, and the Loblaws Market and Bakery, where I worked when I was in school. That's gone. And then downtown on Clinton near Eagle in North Division, I, th I think it was the first supermarket that I knew of. And I used to do what they call wagon service. We used to line up and take people's to the, you know, various houses with the groceries because mm -hmm. everybody lived in a community. And so we'd get 15 cents, 25 cents, 30 cents, whatever they wanted to give us. But um, it's needed badly. Now, those who have cars can drive to other places, but without that, right, it's, it's pretty bad. And you have a connection to Buff State. Yes. As I do. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. <laughs> well, for, I like to say the first thing, I had someone call me not long ago and they wanted to help me with my, uh, 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 what is it, a uh, tuition loan. 
I said, I, I said, I graduated 70 years, <laughs> 70 years ago. And at that time, it didn't cost. I said, what? You didn't have to pay? I said, no. But what they didn't know, <laughs> after I went to school, two years in the Army, I came home. I got out early, two year, two, three months early, in order to get a job because of the way the school started. In reference to the time I would be getting out in December, school started in September, so I got out early. And so I started working, and um, the, the pay was only 3600 a year. So I don't know what kind of loan I would need. <laughs> and I still have my ring, Pleasure. which is uh, wow. 54. I think it was about thirty-eight dollars. I don't know how much gold's in it now, but it was something. It was just two of us, so-called brothers, that was uh, accepted. And since that school was free, it was unfortunately unfortunate that they weren't accepting most of us because most of the people that I know that went there was fairly successful, and then their kids were successful, and down the line. But it was an um, excellent experience. I learned a lot. What happened is I came out of a technical high school, and I took industrial arts in the college, so most of the stuff was unfortunately very easy, except the book work, <laughs> so writing term papers, which I didn't do at Tech. But it was a close-knit situation then, because like I said, it was only four buildings and the dorms that they have and so forth were not there. They did build what I there. They built the um, one dorm and I think the library, which was built over. They built one and then they had to build one over that in order to uh, have enough room for the library. So this was really, really a, a exciting experience. And not too long ago, somebody called, I don't know why, they wanted somebody who went there to just go and see how the school is now and how it was and most of the people the teachers and so forth weren't even born when i left <laughs> <laughs> but it was exciting because i did see something different which was uh 3d 3d uh printing yes yes the 3d printing so that was interesting were you were you one of the first uh black students at the college not the first, because I know a few people that went there. That's why I decided to go, because I knew you could go and didn't have to pay, because if you had to pay, I wouldn't have been able to go. <laughs> but as um, far as uh, men, I don't think we had any that I can think of who went there and graduated mm -hmm. and stayed. But the two that got in, my buddy and myself, were the only two that started and we finished in four years. Like they say, 50% do not. But we finished in the, and then taught for 30, 30 years. And Mr. Stenhouse was the other one. He taught for years and very successful because he could take care of them and he enjoyed doing it and so forth. But no, we didn't have many. What do you love most about Buffalo's black community? What I love most about it is the fact that the uh, close-knit that we have because, and well, especially since I was teaching in Buffalo, I still see students that I had. They are 80 years old. Wow. See And um, this particular girl is uh, writing 
and she has a PhD. And I can remember when I started at school 17, and they were very excited to see one of us too. So they thought that I didn't know what was what, that I came from a silver spoon, didn't know that I grew up right around the neighborhood. Right. And so they still talk about how they tried to give me a hard time, lock me up in those clothes, uh, blackboards that they had. <laughs> they didn't know that I had that too. So it was just fun. And like I said, I see so many now since I stayed in the city. And those who are around, I see. And they, they, they just really happy to see old man. You still around. <laughs> <laughs> My last question uh, is something I, I ask uh, all of our guests. You maybe alluded to it earlier, but um, just broadly speaking, what does Buffalo need? I think Buffalo need a lot more students, especially our students, being more serious about going to school or taking advantages of the different program have been set up basically for us, like on the Northland Corridor. It's set up for our students. Unfortunately, 100% of them are not there. We have students from the suburbs and all over taking advantage, which is good, they need these workers of that particular place. And the reason some of us cannot get in, they don't have that basic education that they need to uh, pass the test. Mm -hmm. So I think improvement in the schools, and a lot have been done, especially since they trying to get this um, day shortened, the time shortened on the bus. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. But I would say education, yes. Education is the key. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Thomas O'Neill White. I want to thank our guest, Judson Price, one of the founders of Buffalo's Juneteenth Festival for being with us today. Mr. Price, thank you, thank you. so much. Thank you. Real pleasure meeting you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. And thank you for being with us today on Buffalo What's Next. More to come. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. This is Buffalo What's Next, where we have conversations with the community about moving forward. To have your voice heard, press the Talk to Us button on the WBFO app, and we'll work to get your questions and comments on the air. Join us on Twitter at WBFO or email us at news at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. And welcome back to uh, Buffalo What's Next. Uh, for the remainder of the program, we're going to be talking with two members of the Buffalo branch of the NAACP. With us, uh, the president of the NAACP here in Buffalo, Reverend Mark Blue, and Angela Blue, member of the executive committee. Thanks for uh, joining us today. Thanks Thank for having you for us. Having us. Uh, great to have you because uh, there's a lot we can talk about because both of you are individually involved in a lot of different things. But in this particular case right now, we want to just uh, highlight a little bit about Saturday because it's the 55th annual Medgar Evers Awards Dinner coming up. Absolutely. Uh, we want to not only uh, honor the individuals who are going to be receiving these awards that we have for the NAACP, we, we look and we uh, have individuals uh, recommended to us, and we also see the work of these individuals, and we want to just highlight them and celebrate them. Uh, in this, our 55th annual Mega Everest, and this, the tag is gala. We want to make this a grand event uh, to where we can highlight and have a good time. Uh, the pandemic has uh, kept us hostage, 
And mm. now we just want to celebrate and make sure that our, our community celebrates as well. So uh, we're looking forward to this event. Uh, we're looking forward to share uh, what the NAACP has done throughout the year. And we also have a great speaker. Um, his name is Tim Wise. Yeah, I was going to ask about Tim Wise just a little bit. Uh, give me his, his background uh, uh, of, of what he is all about. Well, I'll let uh, Angela uh, address are you, that one. Are you integral in bringing Mr. Wise to Buffalo? Um, yes. Uh-huh. Um, we do believe that it was um, something that was written in the stars to happen. Okay. Uh, we searched high and low, and we searched um, nationally f- to bring in a good speaker. Uh, if I just want to talk a little bit about last year's dinner was the first time we brought in a nationally known speaker um, who was Roland Martin. Uh, the the audience received him very well. For the year, uh, we've been hearing, you know, we want someone else. You know, we want you guys to keep going, moving up in your dinners. So we struggled with who can we bring in to maybe top Roland Martin <laughs> or, you know, wow. meet the same standard as Roland Martin. Okay. And, um, you know, like I said, we searched high and low and finally... Uh, Tim Wise came to mind. I saw Tim Wise a few years back at a national convention. I think it was a Citizens Action uh, convention. And um, I heard him speak, and it was phenomenal. Uh, the way he speaks about anti-racism, um, his social, social justice um, take on what's going on. He speaks unapologetically about race relations, um, History. He's a great orator on history of race relations, uh, going back to times of slavery, um, even to Jim Crow and to modern day times. Um, and he, he shoots straight from the hip. Right. There's no sugar coating. And, and I like that because in today's time, you know, we're we're past sugar coating. <laughs> the situation, what's happening in society. So I think Tim will fill that space very well. And he will speak to everyone's understanding of race relations, anti-racism, bigotry, uh, and then also how we can work together in unity. And if I'm not mistaken, Mr. Wise is a a white man, right? Yes, he is. So, I mean, does that bring a different angle perspective into the conversation or is his is he just spot on no matter what uh, whoever's delivering the 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 words well well i think it does okay and i think that that's what brings an amount of excitement to this dinner um because because he is a white man um he speaks very freely on being white himself in today's society um and I think it will challenge people to get past uh, the visual of him being white, first of all. And then the truth that he speaks has to resonate within everyone's soul. You know, it's, it's just the truth of the matter. Um, but I think it's a plus plus. You know, we've, you know we, we can speak to each other in this community. Uh, we can have black-on-black conversations about it. Uh, we can have conversations about it in the workplace in the grocery store, but when you have um, someone who's coming with a dedicated message to a mixed crowd uh, purposefully, I think that changes the spectrum on everything. And I think he will bring a wealth of perspective. 
sure. perspective. You know, yeah. I, mean, uh, I, I think I, it, it would be very interesting. And just to follow up on that a little bit uh, more, bringing it back, because you're talking about we can have conversations. Yes. Since May 14th of 2022, we talked about the need to have more conversations. Absolutely. You are both very involved in the community. Are you feeling that? Are you sensing that there are more conversations, more important conversations taking place? You, you know, there you, there are more conversations taking place, but uh, there are more now on accident before 514, and now they're, they're becoming on purpose. And, and that's one of the perspectives that we need to have. Now that we know that this white supremacist has come to our community and then tried to cause devastation, uh, Buffalo has been a community where we flipped the script on that we did not have chaos, but we organized and we allowed everyone to come together. Uh, and I want to say this, that not one car was turned over, not right. one window was broken, not one fight ensued. What we had was more of an embracing of what we know to be different that we need to address. So this brought the conversation more openly and more on purpose to each and every individual of Western New York. So now... We're addressing it, and we're even feeling a little bit more comfortable in saying white supremacy. And we're saying that racism uh, brought these terrors to our community. And if we don't address them now publicly and openly, then we will, we're not doing uh, a justice to our community. So we're finding a lot of conversations now being had and a lot of real talk uh, being uh, starting because of the things that have happened. And that's why uh, this dinner is one of the, uh, this is an important dinner. Uh, we had Roland Martin, which addressed a lot of the concerns and issues. He was bold, he was brass, uh, and he was purposeful in what he stated. But now we have Tim Wise. And as uh, uh, Angela said, it's, it's a change of the flavor, and you even brought it out. It's a, perspective, it's a different perspective coming from the lips uh, of a Caucasian. So we're getting it from both sides, and that's what needs to be had. This communication, this talk needs to be addressed so people can be open and honest even about their biases because we have some biases. And if we don't address them, they will continue to be hidden, and then we will be acting them out uh, subconsciously, not knowing that we're doing it. So it's a new perspective that we're bringing uh, to the Buffalo community area, and we feel that uh, this speaker— uh, Tim Wise can help us address the the elephant in the room. It's still a big elephant. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and we need to address this and have the real conversation so we can deal with more of what our community should be about. We say we're a city of good neighbors. Well, let's do it on purpose and not by accident. We're talking uh, this morning with uh, Reverend Mark Blue, the president of the Buffalo branch of the NAACP, and Angela Blue, executive committee member of uh, their 55th annual Medgar Evers Awards and Gala this coming Saturday at the Buffalo Niagara Convention Center. Um, obviously, there'll be a lot of conversation, like we were just talking about there, I would think, before and after we hear Mr. Wise speak, but also these awards. Uh, and I maybe you don't want to get into them just, just a little bit, but I did see a couple of them, the Youth Award to... Uh, Jonathan Douglas. I see the President's Award going to both Sheila Brown and Judge Susan Egan. What can you, is there anything you can tell me about uh, any of these awards uh, recipients? Sure. Um, um, Jonathan Douglas is an outstanding high school student. Uh, he'll be graduating this year. Um, his resume is long and it's deep. One of the criteria for the Youth Award is that um, youth uh, grades 5 through 12 um, have been involved in community activity, community activity that is not um, 
um, required for graduation, right. just community activity. And Jonathan's background, wow, very impressive. So he's very well-deserving of this youth award, and we can't wait to celebrate him. He's one of those kids that are going to make me jealous, right? Oh, my God, he's <laughs> dynamite. What am I doing all my life? <laughs> yeah, I asked his mom, how in the world does he do it? And he's an A student. Oh, my gosh. So he's very impressive. Um, so I can't wait to meet him. M&T Bank is our Daniel Ackert's award winner. Um, M&T Bank does so much for the community. They were sponsor of uh, Juneteenth uh, this yes, past weekend, yes. which I, I caught me a, a, a little off guard, I guess, for lack of a better term. Yes. Well, certainly noticeable in that regard and mm-hmm. kind of an encouraging development in Buffalo that a corporate sponsor like that is getting involved with such a big community element. So I could see where... Obviously, this is a connection that they they want to cultivate. Right, absolutely, and I'm so glad that you responded with that, with it being a surprise to you. Um, many people do not know the involvement, the the length of the involvement with NWACP, um, not just M&T Bank, but there's other organizations. Um, the Jewish Federation, we have a long-standing relationship with, um, but M&T Bank works with our community, first-time home ownership, entrepreneurship. They work with the community and very well worth this recognition. I want to talk a little bit about Greater Buffalo Racial Equity Roundtable. Mm, okay, right. Oh, yes. Greater Equity, um, the roundtable is out of Buffalo Greater um, Community Foundation. And uh, they've been in existence, I think, since 2016. I may have joined them in 2018. Uh, they have at least 10 different platforms that they work on um, to better service the community. And the racial aspect of it is to break some of those barriers that have been causing people of color to be left behind, such as in the career. We have a, a career arm to the round table, um, and then that's led by um, Buffalo Niagara Partnership. Um, please forgive me, I can't call right. her name off, but you know who I'm talking about. Absolutely. Dottie Gallagher. Dottie Gallagher. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm sorry, Dottie. I'm sorry. I'm you guys sorry. work hand in hand very nicely. Yes, yes. Um, so that's one aspect of the roundtable. We have um, uh, Boys of Color, which I have my own personal testimony. Boys of Color work with young men, um, I believe grades 8 through adulthood. It changes their lives. There's a lot of... Um, Young men who come, young black men and, pe- and men of color that come from single family homes who do not have um, father figures in the a father one mm-hmm. or a father figure around them. So, what this aspect of the round table does, it enriches, it, it takes in the young men and enriches them with career choices, uh, school, uh, you know, just how to be a better citizen. And I can tell you for myself, I saw my nephew grow into that program and he is now on a career path uh, it's unbelievable the change he would not speak to anyone he would not right op- he was not open but now since going through that program he is well on his way working for a professional organization now working towards getting his licensing so that he can you know better enhance himself with a career so i speak volumes to that um, Greater Buffalo Racial Equity Roundtable may be a secret to some, 
but that's why they're worthy. They are very worthy of this honor. And then hopefully the audience will see that and be able to support this more. Um, Dewa Sabu Adiola, um, he's been in our community for quite some time. Uh, you can go to any event in the in the community and he's there. He's going to win the Medgar Evers Award, right? He's yeah. going to win the Medgar Evers Award. He is the president, I believe, of the Colored Musicians Club. Okay. I'm sorry. No, he's he's one of the members of the one of the Musicians. members. I'm George sorry. George Scott is the president yes. of the Colored Musicians Club. I believe Club. in the past he was. In the past he was. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But he's very well worth um, this award. I'm going to go to Sheila Brown and, and let Reverend Blue speak to um, Judge Egan. Sheila Brown, she is the first African-American woman to own a radio station, WUFO, um, 96.5 radio station. Uh, she's an author, and she spends her time in the community working with uh, folks who want to go into entrepreneurship. She has trainings for them. Anytime that there's any event happening in the community, the radio station is there to support that. She's also held loads of workshops for people who want to go, you know, in different fields of work. Just name it. Sheila Brown is there for everyone in the community. And it's time for us to salute her and bring her in front of the NAACP as one of the president's award winners. And our last uh, award winner is Honorable Judge Susan Egan. Judge Susan Egan, she uh, she did something phenomenal uh, in the sentencing uh, of the mass- of the Topps Massacre individual. I don't even want to call his no, name. That's fine. Uh, she laid out uh, systemic historic racism uh, as she gave her um, her synopsis of uh, before the sentencing went forward. Um, that went far and wide nationally as well, and and I, I'm going to say this and put it this way: she is the she did what call what Colin Kaepernick did in football, but he was ostracized and criticized. But she laid out racism from the history to the present, and, and that uh, alone, the NAACP National. Legal Defense Fund president uh, was here during that time as a speaker at UB in the speaker series. I shared that with her. She was blown away by that. The national president for the NAACP, um, Derek Johnson, I shared that with him. He said, I need a copy of that. Uh, But she has been in our community for a long time, and she has been doing the work uh, on her, during her judgeship, she's been doing the work. and, And the platform that she used to just give the history of racism during this time and during this era, again, that helped to open up more conversation in our community. Because not only are you hearing it uh, from those who have been marginalized, but you're hearing it from those who sit in positions uh, of authority, especially a judgeship. Who can make a difference in anybody's life. Absolutely. And that's why, um, to me, I feel she's deserving of this award. Uh, we, We started doing the President's Awards a couple of years ago. Because I, I felt that more people need to be recognized, more people need to be um, known about, and these were opportunities for us uh, to open up to and be more inclusive in individuals who may not have met uh, the criteria for the other awards, but who have done some special things in our community. Uh, that's why Judge Susan Egan and uh, and, uh, and Sheila Brown 
uh, are the two that I selected. And that's my personal selection uh, as the president. And they're well worthy of receiving these awards. With us this morning, we have uh, the Reverend Mark Blue and Angela Blue of the Buffalo branch of the NAACP. Um, your 55th annual Medgar Evers Awards Gala is coming up this Saturday at the Buffalo Niagara Convention Center. But I, while I have you here, Reverend Blue, I want to give maybe just a little bit of an update because I know you're deeply involved in the uh, committee that, to put together a monument to recognize 514. Yes. Where do we stand right now? Right now, we're still in the uh, beginning stages. We've met as a committee several times uh, over the past couple of months. And we had our first public meeting, which took place at the Mikowski School on Jefferson and Best. Uh, that meeting took place. We had a lot of great input. Uh, there is a uh, website that I would love for everyone to go to uh, to get more update uh, on for, on things that will be developing further. And that is the 514memorial.com, 514memorial.com. That is the website that has been put together by both the city and the state because they're all partners in this. We have a survey that we're asking people to take. Uh, it will give you the link to the survey. Uh, that will help us give more information on what we need in order to do the job that we've been given to do. We don't, we don't have a permanent site. Uh, selected, and we need your survey input to help us implement some type of design that the community wants to see uh, to help memorialize those who have been uh, taken it, and even the survivors who were in tops, and that's the survivors of the community. We can't leave them out because they're still traumatized. Mm -hmm. Our whole community is still traumatized, mm -hmm. and we want to use this as a living memorial to help us not only reflect on what has happened, but to move us forward on what we can do to prevent these things from happening again. I know as part of the committee, you probably are trying to keep your expectations dampened to a certain extent, but I have this sense that money isn't going to be an issue with this. I just have that feeling that there's a there's a, a support behind this effort that is, is that kind of a sense that you're getting? We, we have uh, the state is, is partnering along with the city and also, uh, we're going to be doing a, a national campaign because uh, we realize that what happened here happened and affected the whole world. And we have been receiving um, information and input from, from outside as well. So we will be opening it up and soliciting support because we want this monument to be one that can be taken care of in perpetuity. So it's going to be a living monument. So wherever it's going to be and whatever design uh, that we're going to have based on community support, we want to make sure that it does bring the healing and wholeness and hope back to the community. Uh, and not only that, but back to the entire world. And while I have you here, Angela Blue, uh, executive committee member at the Buffalo uh, branch of the NAACP, also with the Western New York Labor Federation. Yes. Labor, how's the how, what's the state of labor in Western New York right now? Labor is doing well in Western New York. Uh, we just had our annual dinner on this past Thursday. Uh, I believe we had close to 500 folks in attendance, so it was very well received. Um, good time for everyone. Um, in the House of Labor, uh, we're doing well. We're holding our own, um, as we call it. Right now, we have little little um, 
there's just a little bit of smoke, but not big fires happening right now in labor. <laughs> okay. So we're at a good point. Um, but however, with that being said. You know, we only said, have a few minutes left. When you say something like there's just a little bit of smoke, <laughs> man, little I think I have another smoke, hour of a show right. for you. Yeah, but anyway, okay. Um, but as of right now, um, labor is holding its own. Um, you know, just as, you know, anytime we want people to know that labor is necessary. Um, there are some folks who, who want to believe that unions are not, but contrary to that, we've had a huge explosion in the past few years with um, younger workers wanting to become uh, unionized. So that is huge. Uh, for those who may not know, Starbucks started the national campaign to be unionized. That started right here in Buffalo. So, you know, it's just exciting. And, and also we've had a couple of other smaller coffee houses who've wanted to organize. Um, and then we have um, Tesla, the Tesla plant, who is going through organizing right now. So labor is in a good space right now. I know that's a whole nother show. I know. I see it. I see it in your eyes. I know. I, know. I see it. Um, but, yeah, just to let you know that labor is holding its own right now. Very good. That's encouraging for coming from a household with uh, union members uh, in my past as well. So uh, we only have a couple of minutes left here, so I just want to get back to the uh, the Medgar Evers Awards this coming Saturday in the gala, like you said. What should uh, someone expect? I, I, I assume there's still an opportunity to attend if you want to? Yes. Yes. So uh, my tag is this one is going to be different. Okay. Yes. We can start <laughs> off by saying we have um, a gentleman who is white, who is our keynote speaker, first time in the history of the dinner that this has happened. So we're very excited about that, have great expectations about that. And this is also the first year that we're deeming it a gala event. Um, it is a black tie affair. And there will be music and dancing following the dinner program, the dinner portion right. of the evening. Um, lots of new shiny things in place. Um, we want to have this night be a good, a good feel night for everyone. Um, we're coming to agree that we have to stand together and that we're stronger together. So on this night, we want it to be a great atmosphere, a great time to celebrate our awardees. But after it's over, there's still plenty of work to do. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's good to come and celebrate. But the celebration is just uh, capping off uh, part of the work that we're doing. There's still more work to do. So we want to make sure that everybody knows you can join the NAACP. You can go to our website at buffalonaacp.org, and you can still purchase tickets, and you can also become a member of the NAACP. We're one of the oldest, boldest, and most cussed and fussed at organizations uh, in the nation. Uh, but I didn't we're know that here. most cussed was part of the, oh, of the yes. label. Uh, there. People okay. don't like to see us coming at times. Uh, but we are here to help our community. Uh, we're here to advocate for our community. We are here to bring justice to our community. Wow. Our entire community. And I appreciate both of you coming in to join us here on Buffalo What's Next. Thank you Thank so you. much for having us. Our guests, uh, Angela Blue and the Reverend Mark Blue from the Buffalo branch of the NAACP. Earlier, Thomas O'Neill White talked with Judson Price, one of the founding members of the Juneteenth celebration here in Western New York. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO and WBFO HD1 Buffalo, WOLN Olean, and WUBJ Jamestown, your NPR station.